ladies and gentlemen, I know we said we're going on hiatus. Oh my god. Uh, oh my but god. Oh my god, we lied. We're, well, we're we're probably gonna go back on hiatus for a little bit, but we were approached how, with how can an they take amazing, anything we say seriously now? I they we're completely blown our credibility. Yeah. But we have a good reason for it. Yes, folks. What's the reason? Today we are bringing to you a very special, very very cool episode with the one, the only, Mister Johnny Tambourines himself, Dane cook if you owned a television and watched comedy central anytime between the years 2002 and now you know who we're talking about uh he is the literal uh comedian of a generation yeah every um, millennial out there knows absolutely too much by heart absolutely uh we're yeah. gonna be he's having, like the family guy of comedians <laughs> we're going to be having uh dane on the show here uh, he will be joining us in just a moment via telephone. Uh, it is a very, very exciting day for us, and we hope it's a very exciting day for you. Also, in terms of news and shit, uh, don't worry. It looks like everything's fine since we've been yeah, gone. totally normal, totally sane. Everything's everything's uh, cool. The president and the governor are both doing a tremendous job and are definitely not completely evil and or corrupt. All right. Well, be back in just a moment with Dane Cook. Dane Cook. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii, Dane Cook. This very special episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast featuring Dane Cook is brought to you by Royal Thai Garden Emma Beach. That's Royal Thai Garden, the one-stop shop for all of your amazing, wonderful, delicious Thai food needs. Farm to table, fresh, incredible food. Get the garlic chicken. Mention the Blue Hawaii Podcast. Get how much off? 20%. That's 20 GD percent. Royal Thai Garden Emma Beach. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. We are thrilled to have a special guest today. He's an absolute legend. He defined a generation of stand-up comedy. He's sold more than five and a half million comedy albums. He's the second comedian in history to sell at Madison Square Garden. His films have grossed more than $400 million. And he's responsible for me personally losing about 12 friends in high school when I wouldn't stop quoting his bits. Uh, also, fuck you, Jeremy. And most importantly, he's going to be live at the Blaisdell Concert Hall this Saturday, July 20th at 7 p.m. as part of his Tell It Like It Is tour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dane Cook. Dane, how's it going, man? man I, first of all, thank you guys for having me. Secondly, I wish I could just live within an introduction. There's no happier place than just <laughs> sitting and hearing somebody just go through all your high watermarks without really touching upon the, <laughs> the struggling yeah. years. Well, could, well, most of our guests are uh, respectfully a little more amateur, so we'll <laughs> we and, like to hype it up when we can. And you know, I don't want to I don't want to brag, but we are we're known for our glowing introductions. You know what? I I, I think if there's awards for glowing introductions, you guys are going to take first. And maybe for next time when I call in, let's go the other way and and try to find the worst possible low water marks. You can start with like this guy got a toothache in '92 that he couldn't <laughs> fix until '98. I love it. So we we have some very serious and professional interviewee questions for you lined up in a moment. But but before we get started, Dane, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that your jokes literally defined my adolescence. Like growing up, uh, one of my best friend's families owned a Dairy Queen. And to this day, we still all call it the DQ Lounge. Or like uh, yeah. when something is expensive, I always find myself saying like, oh, hey, thanks for not fucking me big time. Uh, and not only that, but 
your album Retaliation was the literal catalyst for my love of stand-up that has endured to this day. So all that said, oh, yeah. uh, as if the introduction weren't enough, we are super, super excited to have you on the show and cannot wait to see you Saturday night. Man, I tell you, there is, as a, um, as a kid and, and a student of stand-up comedy, and by the way, I'm 29 years in, but I, I still consider myself a student of stand-up comedy, but coming up and quoting all my favorite comedy albums that I would... Uh, I would, you know, get and, and or sneak away and listen to if maybe like the language something that, you know, my parents wasn't uh they're you know exactly gonna uh you know, allow me to sit. Uh nothing means more uh than hearing people still quoting their favorite uh pieces of material. Honestly, it never gets if that ever goes away then I'm definitely gonna hang up the mic and, and walk because there's nothing more gratifying than, than hearing that. I blame Karen. Uh, well, so did, do you know that Karens to this day still approach me and they're like I just want you to know that you really you destroyed a 10 year period of Thanks, my man. life with yeah. that joke oh it's like being it's like being the only Jewish kid in school when South Park came out like okay well yeah uh, so Dan you've been yeah. all over the world uh, it's definitely not your first time in Hawaii right no I, I did a show there I guess on my second to last tour and I mean just as far as uh, downtime in my life and career, uh, it's like my go-to. That's Very cool. awesome. Very cool. So uh, you are, you're out here, you're telling it like it is, obviously the tribute to the great Aaron Neville song. But for you personally, Dane, <laughs> uh, how, did that, how did that name come about? Why did you, why'd you go with that theme? Yeah, I, I think um, it's interesting because I love when I'm putting together um, you know, albums or specials, I'm, I'm big into the... Uh, everything, the whole, you know, the incubation period of like, what's the theme and what's the artwork. And um, I'm very hands-on and I always try to come up with something that I feel like encapsulates where I'm at both as a, you know, comedian and, and also, you know, where am I standing in my life? Okay. I'm, I'm 47. I've grown up with a generation of comedy fans. I'm now in the uh, uh, act two of my life and career. Uh, the thing that was the most important for me in the few years of prep for this tour and why it may have taken a little bit longer than previously was I just didn't want to, I wanted the material to be more introspective as well as still funny and observational without losing any of the fucking LPMs, you know, the laughs per minute. Uh, Yeah. Not a one man show, not a downshift and, and yet still an evolution as a person and as a performer. And once I figured out that math, um, it was like, I, I really want to get out right now and do this and tell it like it is was pretty much what I was telling people I was doing even before the tour. I was like, that's exactly what I'm going to share all the, all the ins and outs of, you know, success and on the other side of it, what it means to, uh, even, you know, dream that big dream. So it's kind of all floating in there like that. Right on. That's awesome. So obviously this tour is a little different than the ones that, that you've previously done. How are, I mean, how's the reception? What's it been like so far in the cities that you've played? Yeah, it, it's been really um, tremendous. Uh, it, the thing that's been one of the coolest kind of kicks in the whole thing is when I do meet and greets and every night I'm meeting not only um, fans that say, oh, I, you know, I, I came to your show at Madison Square Garden or I saw you in college, and now here's my son or here's my daughter. And sometimes they're with their parents, and I'm going, oh, wow, shit. This is like when I go see Aerosmith, and you're seeing generations (laughs) of fans that I've, um, you know, that I've found and and, and are still discovering the 
early albums, which I'm fortunate enough that I never had a lot of like news of the. I'm I'm certainly not a news of the day yeah. comedian, mm-hmm. but that's let the material still. Um, you know, have life, and, and uh, it's kind of surprising, to be honest, that sometimes young people will come up to me and say, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm just getting into your first uh, few albums. So it's been the best reaction I've, I could possibly... I have a lot of expectations. I always want to exceed my own expectations, and to hear that uh, people are coming to the show and they feel that is... Um, I just want to keep it going. And, you know, we'll... We'll do it all through next year. How do you keep the How do you keep the ego in check? I mean, like if 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 you're if you're basically like on Aerosmith level right now, like and you oh damn Cook, you're timeless man, like you, you know. But you've also said yeah. in other videos after you hit stardom, you know people really get the knives out. So like, it's all how do you juggle that? I will tell you something. I would I, I would love to have some ego. Oh my god, where can I where do I where do I apply for that to where I can really. Um, revel in that. Uh, I think that's been one of the hardest parts is through the years, you know, the, the person people see on stage is a, um, a representation of who I wanted to be. And what I mean by that is I I was the quietest kid in school. I suffered from severe, um, man, you know, just being, uh, self-effacing and depressing depression and, a rough, rough childhood, really, really self-loathing. Um, and so what I found is over the years in, in, in stand-up, I, I created this brave guy that I get to step into mm. when I'm on the stage. And even though through the years I've, I've certainly let that seep into who I am offstage, um, I, I don't sit on my laurels, and I certainly don't sit around thinking I'm at a level of anybody. I'm just trying to be... Um, I'm trying to hit a certain pedigree for what I've always hoped that I could hit. I'm not there yet. I, I still feel like I have a lot of work to do in that regard, but I do feel seasoned and I do feel like um, I wouldn't be here if the fans weren't still kicking and, you know, showing up the way they sure, do. Right so on. I guess if that answers your question, it's like, it, it's, it's, I get to vicariously be that guy on stage, but um, when we're just rapping like we are now, yeah. I guess uh, I could just kind of, you know, warts and all and show you exactly like, you know, really what, what goes on behind the scenes as you're trying to have this kind of career and longevity. Yeah. So one thing that I actually have always found really interesting about you as a comedian is that, um, that you are like a very open book. And I think in the last few years, you've become even more open about working on yourself. You talked about doing a lot of therapy the past few years to, I think the terms you use were uh, untangle the knots inside of you. Like, was it sure. hard as a public figure to be so honest about working to improve yourself when comedy's literal currency is self-deprecation? Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew pretty early on that I wasn't that kind of comic. I grew up really loving guys that were probably because, again, I was so in, uh, so much of an introvert that I was looking at, like, the Steve Martins or Eddie Murphys and George Carlin. They had swagger. They were, they were cool. They weren't... Mm. Uh, they weren't wacky. They weren't goofy. I mean, Carlin yeah. could certainly let himself go there, but to me, they were they were hip and and they were like the people that I, I wanted to be funny and yet seemingly cool. Um, I, I I didn't feel like that. Uh, maybe a lot of the you know time in my life around doing stand up, but certainly that uh, moment of stepping on stage, you know, made it possible to to. Um, you know, again, kind of live vicariously through this character that as time went on, I could, 
lend some of what that meant on stage to who I was in, in real life, you know? Sure, sure. So you were, you know, one of the first comedians to ever really leverage the power of social media. Like, for instance, you sold out MSG with a single MySpace post. I guess what I'm asking is, like, you going to follow us back on Twitter or not? Nah? Probably no. That's okay. No, no disrespect. As one of the, you know, yeah. the, other, the other question, you know, uh, as one of the original social media hype machines, you sort of, I don't want to say you, you're, all the current dysfunction we have right now around the world is completely your fault, but you are certainly something of a trendsetter. Uh, so when are you going to run for president? Um, I'm thinking about it. I'm actually, <laughs> I, I have been thinking about throwing my hat in the ring. Okay. I don't think we have enough so far, so I think one more, one more would be great. Um, you actually, I don't think anybody would even notice I was there. <laughs> uh, better than Marianne Williamson? I don't know. Um, you, you actually, so we, we tend to talk a lot about politics uh, on, on this show, but you're a comedian who, like you said, you never really were news of the day. You were never really political, and it sort of em- empowered you to be so timeless. But I, I found myself, you know, in advance of this, re-listening to some of the old stuff, and you had some actually pretty keen insights on on things. I thought, like uh, you mentioned, there, there's a bit about uh, how we go around bombing countries and then apologize for it 20 years later. And you know, when that came out, it was very like, it was very, you know, kind of tongue in cheek. We ought to laugh at it. And then I was listening to it yesterday. I was like, holy shit, he was right. <laughs> that is that is exactly what we're doing. Um, yeah, I think every once in a while, I feel like I stumble into something that I I feel. Um, is certainly my perspective on the sure. the way the world works politically, mm-hmm. but I also am the first to tell you it's it's um, it's just not my forte. And there yeah. there are many many uh, many comics that are so much more uh, on the on the pulse with that that I wouldn't even feel comfortable um, approaching that material. It's just sure. again, yes, yeah, not my it's not my strong suit. And uh, I try to, you know, stay in my lane. I'm definitely a storyteller. I definitely, um, I'm, I'm a devil's advocate kind of person. Yeah. It's also tricky with political stuff because I, I really live on both sides. I can really sure. understand, uh, you know, why people have the, the, the stance they do and why sometimes you can be so, um, you know, people can be so um, uh, heartfelt in whatever it is that their perspective is. Um, and so that that makes it tricky to talk politics in any regard on sure, stage. Yeah. But every once in a while, yeah, every once in a while something will you know make it in there that I feel like, yeah, this is this is certainly personal to me. Um, but I'm I'm not trying to change hearts and minds uh, in that in that landscape. Okay, right on. You know, we were talking earlier your uh, your your growth and, and some of the some of the the work you've been doing on yourself as well as your comedy. There's a quote. Uh, in an, a recent interview you did that really jumped out to me. Uh, you said, uh, you were already saying, I'm going to grow, I'm going to mature along with my fans. I'm not going to try and stay 20 forever. No more hair gel and tank tops. I really wanted to find introspection. Um, right. It took a lot of years. It took a lot of drama in my life, but that drama was an artist's gift. So Ryan and I are both actually about to exit our 20s, <laughs> and we are in desperate need of guidance and advice for what the hell we do next. Can you can you give us direction in life, yeah. Dane? Drop some, you, know, you drop some I, here, wisdom on us, Here's too? what's going to happen. And... Yeah. and uh, this is the this is the scary ride that's ahead of you, but at the same time, it can be very enlightening. Yeah. Is that, you know, when you're in your 20s, and when I was in my 20s as a comic, I, I spoke about the things that were happening around me, and obviously that was, you know, uh, to 
put it quite simply, it's like there's sex, there's partying, there's, uh, that's it. That's pretty much it. Uh, <laughs> your 20s sound really a lot more 30s. fun than mine. <laughs> oh, man. Like, it's, it's, and then what ends up happening is life just starts, uh, you know, putting some strange and interesting happenstance in front of you. And when I was in my 30s, um, and again, keep in mind, growing up loving comedians that I felt like, I'd watched Carlin uh, do so many different kinds of specials. I, I bring him up a lot because I truly feel like he's um, not only, you know, one of the architects of modern stand-up comedy, but just for me personally, oh, yeah. somebody I wanted to emulate because that man, from special to special, um, you know, he could be uh, more fun or more cynical or, or uh, you know, just dark, grim, sure. um, lighthearted, silly, you know, aloof. Uh, I, I liked all of that, and I liked seeing him change from special to special. I knew in my 20s, about midway through, I was like, man, I um, I really want to be able to, uh, you know, share more stories, and, and, and hopefully just from the life down the road, I'll, I'll have more uh, uh, interesting, you know, foresight and hindsight. I, what I didn't realize was not only would everything um, get to a level of, uh, uh, of stardom and of fame that I was, uh, I dreamt of, but was not prepared for really not as a, as a welfare kid from outside of Boston, Massachusetts, who, you know, you know, we were in the system and, and food yeah. stamps to finally go to that, uh, that height. And then to not even recognize or realize once I got there, all the shit that comes with that and, sure. and moves around with that. Yeah. Um, that was plenty of stuff, uh, although, you know, slightly terrifying to, to, to be <laughs> yeah. in that point. But it, a, a lot of things to, to pick apart and find comedy in. So enjoy the rest of your 20s. Once you hit your 30s, you know, real life starts doling out some uh, <laughs> new chapters. Uh, very honest. Thank you. Yeah. So a sim- uh, similar line. What do you tell... Uh, your fans who come up to you and ask you for advice about getting into stand-up comedy or other art, you know, how often do you get hit with demos, YouTube links, that kind of thing? Oh, wow. I, right before we, uh, we spoke, I have a DM from a girl who just, uh, has been in LA. She said she's been here for, um, uh, a few months and she's doing open mics and says, you know, is there, is there any, any advice? Um, it's some of my favorite outside of just, you know, speaking with, uh, with um, the troops that I've gotten to perform in front of with USO or oh, right on. Um, th- those DMs or emails and then from other comics are amongst my favorite. Uh, and I think it's because I'm definitely a person that doesn't pull any punches in terms of I, I truthfully feel like the journey of any young comic should be like, as little impediment from outside sources, meaning you come to LA, everybody's going to tell you how to fucking do it and what sure. you should be. And you should cut that out. And I, I try to in part, like you really can't listen to me or anybody. You have mm. to go with that voice inside of yourself that, that already kind of has the whole thing figured out, but you're still putting together the pieces of how do I become a better writer? How do I find more stage time? How do I, get representation that uh, believes in me and is not going to, you know, is there for the right reasons. Those are all the things I can help with, nice. you know, with in terms sure, of yeah. when people reach out and ask specifics. But I, I wholeheartedly, and I responded to this girl almost immediately before we spoke, 
and just said, listen, you know, longer conversation if we ever bump into each other at the club, but I can tell you right now, try to try to get out, try to get on the road, try to, the more things you see and experience, the more you can observe and report on. And I think that's your job early as a, as a comedian to be as real and, and honest and, uh, and uh, true to your own what makes you laugh as you possibly can. So, so you're talking about, you know, when you're starting out and, and that journey of, you know, observe and report. That's a really interesting perspective. Um, and and I think, for like you said, you know, you've been doing this a long time. Uh, you have you have uh, the benefit of that. You have, you know, almost 30 years of like, hey, how am I doing? How did I do? Do you ever, is it, do you ever go back and listen to your older stuff and like, be like, you know, even on your specials, like, oh, here's, I wish I would have done this better. I wish I would have done that better. And then take that moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some stuff that every once in a while I'll be flipping through the channels and, and something will, you know, you'll see it on one of the comedy networks or HBO or something. And I guess your first reaction is like, oh my God, I can't believe I wore that. Or, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, my hair, like uh, somebody should have told me to cut it. Or, you, you always have those, you know, first kind of knee jerk reactions to, you know, the, the, the style of the day. But it, when every once in a while, when I'll hear a piece of material, yeah, there, there are things that I feel like, um, you know, earlier, early in my career, I was fortunate enough to, um, to, you know, put together in a way that I, I thought, uh, was finished, you know, a completed piece of material. I think it's easy for comics to listen to old stuff and still want to tag it and add another button to it. And I don't think that ever stops. I don't think any material is ever like welded shut and completely, sure. uh, you know, pristine. Um, but that being said, I, yeah, there, uh, there's stuff I look back on and I'm like, Ugh, I, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, it's like Bon Jovi listening to their first album. It's like after, <laughs> you know, living on a prayer, you know, they're like, what the fuck were we doing? <laughs> uh, so I, I was, uh, I was reading Amy Schumer's book uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she, she has this point that she makes about how standups, they're not like rock stars in that you know, as a when people go and see the Rolling Stones, they get to you know, they play Satisfaction every single night, you know. But a comedian can't always go back and and like play the hits, you know. If you if you get up there and do a bit about you know. Uh, Christ checks again. People are gonna be like, "We heard that." Um, right. What? How, like, how do you how do you find uh, new material that to put together? You know, to make a like an hour, hour and a half, two hour special. Um, when you've you know, it feels like you've sort of just made jokes about everything. You know, like how how do you find that inspiration? Yeah, it. it you know, you do go through those uh, periods where, especially when you finally. Uh, you know, finish a, a new hour or a couple of hours of material, you start, you know, starting over as a comic with a, a new five minutes. It, it does, you do feel like, oh man, like, you know, what, what now? Where have I, you know, where have I not mined for some, you know, nuggets of comedy? And yeah, and that's, that's like, that's why, uh, that's why Eddie Murphy said he doesn't tour anymore because he's like, I just, I don't want to get up and like start my five minutes again at a shitty club somewhere and be but like, but he wants to. Yeah. He wants to. And I know that because I've seen Eddie and he comes down to the club and he'll actually go on stage once in a while just to kind of get that big round of applause and he'll wave to the crowd. And I'm saying to myself, he wouldn't be there if it wasn't still in him. And I yeah. know why he doesn't do it anymore, regardless of what I think he's, you know, I don't know Eddie personally. I'm going to, I'm going to just you sure. know, make my guesstimate. But from the comics that I do know that have put down the mic over the years, 
it's just fucking hard, man. There's nothing harder than putting yourself out there and what comes with um, rebuilding the, the, the persona with where you're at and how you want to change the things you don't want to do anymore. The, the old habits that you're, you've broken. It's like the pressure that we put on ourselves to do that. Once you, once you stop for a little bit, and of course, Eddie Murphy, you know, global sensation, arguably one of the most, uh, uh, you know, highest uh, regarded comedians, comic actors, you know, wouldn't take anything away from him. But why is he not standing back up on stage? Because it's harder than any movie I've ever done. It's harder than any TV show I've ever done. It's harder than any anything I've ever done in terms of uh, the process before you get to enjoy it and get up there and, mm. and, and live in that moment of, of comedy. There's a, there's a lot in the other 23 hours of the day that especially once you've found some success, like somebody like an Amy Schumer, and she knows too because you start coming down the other side and suddenly, you know, your fans aren't as vocal as the the naysayers and the people that want to take you down a few pegs. It's like that's all part of the – that's all part of it. That that, yeah. that goes with it. So getting back on that ladder, man, is, is – uh, it's not easy, you know, well, to get back in there. So you're talking about, you know, how hard it is to – and just – you know, the grind of it is of like building your material, building your set. Um, is there a bit that stands out to you as your favorite bit to have performed? Cause it's gotta be so good when you just get the crowd, like in the palm of your hand, is there, I think w- it's whatever he's going to do this Saturday, right? I, 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 that's the, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, yeah. I, yeah. Like, is there, is there one bit that stands out to you where you're just like, man, I just like, I loved doing that one every night. I tell you something, it's, um, there's, there's bits that I look back very fondly on sure. because I just feel like I had the, I just had the vernacular right. And I had the right, um, you know, just, just the right tempo, everything going. I, I remember I did, uh, on vicious circle, I did the whole piece about going to the movies. And I remember finishing the bit that night and saying to myself, like on stage, when I, when I got the last laugh from it, I'll never do it better. Yeah, I'll never do it. It was never as funny as tonight. Not every piece mm-hmm. it, it fragmented. It was like, ah, that was funnier tonight. This didn't go as well. That didn't fly. But when I finished the the bit that night and I go to movie theaters still to this day and somebody is going to quote something from the moment I'm either ripping <laughs> the ticket or sitting down. It's awesome. It's so cool. It, but I'm not even kidding when you say like what what piece of material there. There is some bits in this this tour that are so fucking wild, true, <laughs> unbelievable stories. They're so caustic, and, um, and you're almost not even ready for it once I launch into the material. And for me, it's my favorite material because, A, it's, it's as funny as anything I've done, but it's also the realest. It's the real, it's, it's not observational, like, let me, let me say some funny stuff about, that's twisted about the world. It's like, no, let me tell you what happened to me. Mm-hmm. and how I processed it. And to be able to do material like that and stand there and, and own like my failures and successes and to still be like having the career that I'm having, that is, uh, that's the most unbelievable kind of kickback from a crowd that you could ever experience. Right on. Switching gears just really quick, um, you know, because obviously the world famous stand-up comedy career wasn't enough. We hear you are also making your feature film directorial debut. Tell us a little bit about American Typecast. Oh, wow. 
I, I didn't know you guys were going to bring it up. Yeah, very excited. Very, very um, proud to be part of something. It aired last night or it filmed uh, last night at the uh, L.A. Shorts Festival, and we're getting ready for Holly Shorts Festival, both here in Los Angeles. Um, it's, it's, i got to tell you, we put this thing together. My friend Monib Abhad, he, uh, he's a Middle Eastern actor here in L.A., uh, friends for a lot of years, and he would just tell me these nightmare stories of like what it was to be, uh, you know, maligned in this industry mm, because sure. of his ethnicity, and and some of the some of the stories were cringeworthy, but we would laugh, you know, because as a comedian, I'm, you know, I'm going to bust his chops, and we're yeah. friends, and we found ourselves laughing about some of these elements that, uh, you know, just quite frankly are, are are not funny, you know, just just tough. Yeah, tough. sure. You know, tough routine. And so we put together a story uh, based on Monib's actual experiences here in L.A., um, you know, going in and auditioning for Terrorist Number 2 or, Jeez. you know, Insurgent, blah, 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 and uh, put together that we thought uh, really represented that um, community in a in a positive way, but still uh, through humor. We're, we're owning a moment. We're owning a serious um, conversation and we're putting humor in it. Once you, as a person, put humor to how people perceive you, mm-hmm. you own it. It's gone. They can't hold that on you anymore. You can laugh at yourself and you can understand what the right or wrong perception is, whether you made a mistake or whether it's actual, whether it's something that's resonated in society. Once you, once you laugh at it, it's done. That's awesome. an awesome perspective, and I think it's really cool too that you that you're mentioning, uh, you know, people auditioning, uh, especially Middle Eastern actors, like Insurgent Number One, Terrorist Number One, or like Latino actors always get put into like you know cartel guy or drug guy, um, right. and I feel like uh, especially on the Middle Eastern from the Middle Eastern actors' perspective, like you've got a lot of really great comedians leading the charge on that, and I think they're breaking down those yep. barriers, like you're saying, like Aziz Ansari and Master of None. Uh, did like a whole episode on that or Camille Nanjiani has really been uh, attacking that as well. And it's, and they're making people laugh in a way where people also realize like, Oh shit, I do kind of put people in a box. And I think it, it like, it makes the whole world better for realizing where, you know, where your uh, biases are. So that's really cool, man. I think it's, I think it's important as much as I admire um, what those, you know, two, two guys that you spoke on and, and, and several other, um, you know, up and coming artists and comedians. But I also feel like in divisive times like this, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to go so political in sure. this conversation, but in times that you can feel there is a positive shift in terms of who the camera is pointing at and whose stories get to be told. There's also a feeling of uh, an undertow that's a little scary. So what, what I think um, as performers is it's great to tell your individual story. What's even more powerful is to collaborate with people outside of your social circle, mm, which yeah. is why I was honored to be at the helm and direct uh, Monib's story, because then once we're all working together and sharing those stories together, once again, we've, we've surpassed just, oh, this is something I created for just my culture. No, mm-hmm. everybody should be watching Aziz or everybody yeah. should be, um, you know, taking part in Ali Wong special or yeah. it shouldn't feel um, a, like a breakthrough moment only for that group culturally. It should feel like a moment for everybody that's participating in this human condition. Hell yeah. Awesome. Can't uh, agree more. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then two last quick questions. These are, these are questions that we wrap up with. We love to ask all our guests this. Um, oh, cool. Great. This uh, this is a little cheesy one, but this this is very uh, revealing. So, 
God, you know, God forbid, unfortunately, on your way to Honolulu, you were shipwrecked. Uh, because you're taking a boat. Because you're taking a boat. And you can only you could have only brought one book, one movie, and one album. What did you bring? Oh my goodness. Um a friend of mine just gave me this book. Uh, it's basically it's Nietzsche, but it's it's cool. like a kind of a, an amalgam of, of all the different uh teachings. So I probably bring that as the book. And then what else okay. am I bringing? Uh one album and one movie. One movie, and then what was the other one? Album. Just oh, like boy. a okay like a, movie. Yeah. I I'm gonna bring. I want to laugh more than anything else, so I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna bring planes, trains, and automobiles. Solid choice. Nice. Very solid choice. I'm gonna bring that because as much as that movie makes me laugh, there are there are moments in that movie that are so uh, gut wrenching and and sad, and I feel like yeah. that's the best comedy. Where sometimes it's like, oh, there's nothing funny about this, but these are funny people delivering yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I like that. I, I like that. Uh, the dark corners, but comedy in the center. So that'd be my movie. And then album, I would probably bring uh, hmm, Aerosmith. Okay. Which I, one? Since we talked about him earlier, Toys in the Attic or something like that. Or nice. maybe like okay. the Greatest Hits. Yeah. Greatest Hits, greatest hits is, a, is a good, uh, we, don't, we don't like to say, we don't like to say, you know, cheat code, but that's, when people are struggling, we usually just hint Greatest Hits album. <laughs> I didn't even know I was struggling. I no, was no, 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 you're coming through LA. I think that you have to go to my favorite steak joint anywhere in the world is Mastro's. And nice. I always tell people it's like if you can get a reservation in Mastro's for like middle of the day when it's completely relaxed, it's going to be like that's it. And there's there's one right on the beach, so you're sitting there, you're overlooking the ocean. That sounds amazing. Having okay. an amazing piece of uh, fillet. I love it. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dane friggin' Cook. Dane Cook. Uh, he's going to be at the Blaisdell Concert Hall. Uh, this Saturday, July 20th, 7 p.m. Dane, is there an opener? Oh, yeah, Adam Ray. Amazing. Hilarious. Uh, He's got a very, very popular podcast as well, and uh, he'll be down there with me. All right. Hell yeah. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Dane Cook. Thanks, Dane. Thank you, Dane. Guys, thank you again. Really, really appreciate the time. Yeah, man. Always. All right. Aloha. Aloha.